Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and during the Valentine's Day season, we look back at the first major global email virus of the millennium, the I Love You virus, also known as the Love Bug and several other names. It's been almost 22 years, but email continues to be the number one attack vector for cyber threats, and social engineering remains a highly successful tool. So today we've invited someone whose team deals with email security all the time to discuss how email threats and the way we respond to them has evolved over the last 22 years. Anthony Chiarochi is the Security Operations Manager for Infoblox. So thank you for joining us today, Anthony. All right, Bob, glad to be here. Now, 22 years is a really long time in cyber time, you know, so uh, particularly for technology. So. I wanted to go back and kind of review what the world looked like because less than half the people probably listening to this uh, really were doing much at that time. Many of them may not have even been using email. Um, so I wanted to set the stage because at that time, I mean, less than half of the people in even the most advanced and developed countries, less than half of them even had internet um, and e email and you know none of those things were really popular. It was just starting to be talked about. And for most of the world, only 10 to 20% even had access to the internet. So, you know, back at that time, this was all new stuff. Oh, very much, very much. I mean, if you think back then, uh, 20 years ago, 2000 doesn't seem like that long ago, but um, in computer ease, it's like a thousand years. Uh, <laughs> you had to have a modem to get on the internet. You had to log in with the username and password to some internet service provider. And that was really the the uh, reason why this was even written. You know, Onel Guzman was a college student who wanted a password because he was poor and couldn't get on the internet. So he would steal people's passwords so he could go play games on the internet or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was just definitely a different world back then. Yeah, and email was the app. Today we think, think of, you know, a lot of people think of, you know, they use it for sharing files. They think of it as social network. None of that stuff existed at that time. Um, it was really just for communicating. It was, of course, if anybody wants to dig into the internet history, you know, it was developed by governments who wanted ways to communicate, particularly uh, in secret and times of war, things like that, and coordinate. So it was a communication issue for, for the governments. And then uh, universities who sponsored it turned it into value, <clears throat> particularly by, you know, inventing email. That was the killer app. And that was the app that everybody started using. So email started, matter of fact, I remember because I was working for a desktop AV company and the number one way viruses were spreading in the early 90s was by floppy disks because people right. mailed them around. And when email came out, it quickly crossed where email became, I mean, like in one year, email shot up into the 90% of how, how threats were spreading. So they were using email, but they were using it different. It was all mass market stuff, right? I mean, they didn't, the concept of, I don't even think phishing was a word at the time, particularly spear phishing wasn't. Yeah, this this virus, in addition to kind of launching the whole industry of cybersecurity, it really also kind of launched the whole email spam industry because before then, all these these marketers or these, I'm not sure what the term is, but um, <laughs> these people that send spam, um, it, it cost money. I mean, you had to uh, you had to pay for bandwidth. You had to pay for hosting. Uh, so in some cases, you had to pay per email message. So email spam was pretty rare at the time. But what this showed a lot of these people is that you could uh, 
you could create a bit of spam that would replicate and distribute itself automatically for free. And with the, when you add a little bit of social engineering, like uh, like uh, was done here, uh, you can reach a shocking number of people in a very short period of time for not for no money at all. So it really kind of launched that that whole spam email. Oh yeah, and and the Melissa virus had kind of piloted this about a year before, um, where. I mean, there was no virus intent on that one. It was just an email and its only function was to send to the first 50 people on your address list. That's all yeah. it was going to do. Um, so no payload as we tend to think of, uh, you know, the actual virus. Um, so it showed the potential. This guy leveraged it, but he also took advantage of other things. I mean, like when I talk to people about this, they'll say, well, why didn't people just like mouse over the, the executable? Because um, the difference between Melissa and I love you is I love you actually did include a, uh, a file, but if you moused over it, it didn't show you anything different than what you saw in the email, which was, you know, the name of some picture dot JPG, JPG. So it looked like a JPEG, but that's because there was a windows feature and it's a feature, not yeah. a bug <laughs> that automatically hid file extensions. So you could name an executable. Uh, babypick.jpg.exe and Windows automatically stripped off the exe. So when you got your email, it looked like, oh, there's a babypick uh, JPEG for me. I'm going to click on that and see the picture. Yep. <laughs> uh, matter of fact, I think a later guy took that one step further. When you click the executable, the first thing that program did was showed you a picture. So while you're looking at the picture, the program was running in the background doing all of its, its nefarious things. Um, and the user didn't know anything because, hey, I clicked on a picture, I see a picture. Expected behavior, nothing anomalous about that. <laughs> yeah, you, you think about it, you know, you just got back from lunch with uh, Fred from accounting and you check your email and oh, look, Fred from accounting sent me an email that says, I love you, please read this letter. And of course you're gonna click on it. It's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And so it was a, a little, little bit of ingenious um, uh, social you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, engineering, but also there's nothing really esoteric or complex about this attack. I mean, it's a script that writes some files and send some emails and it just took it took advantage of a bug that was already in the operating system that they they didn't write it they didn't your guzman didn't write it he didn't even discover it um so it was very you know it was not very esoteric or complex but it had a, just an amazing impact on everything we do today even you know well and you know this was the thing that surprised me of course i was in the security industry at the time this came out but even people who didn't own a computer at the time. Again, remember, less than half the people even had access to to the internet, um, even in the most developed countries. The I Love You virus made headlines everywhere because it spread globally. In only 15 hours, it had moved around the entire world. Um, I think the FBI estimated that it did over 10 million in damages, which, you know, got to put it in, you know, those days dollars. <laughs> Today, 10 million may not seem like a bat. Uh, a bit when you get these hundreds of million ransoms being charged with ransomware. But this was a big deal. Everybody knew about the I Love You virus. Yet we were at a um, RSA conference about six months later, and we hired some people, the company I was at, we were interviewing people out in front of the RSA conference. These are people coming to a security conference. <laughs> and they asked them, here's 10, I think it was 10 or 12 um, subject lines. If you received emails with these subject lines, would you open them? 
the most the biggest response was yes i would open up something that said i love you or i care for you or i was really thinking about you something along that line amazingly the one that they would open least was here's the bill for the flowers you sent your wife <laughs> that was the, the least one because everybody looked at it, i didn't send flowers to my wife <laughs> right right yeah and, and you think about it you know i i remember hearing that uh or reading that uh Apparently, uh, Onel Guzman actually he had just taken off the restriction that kept the the virus in the Philippines, and he sent like one email to a friend in, in or somebody he knew in in uh, Singapore, and then went out drinking with his college friends. He had no idea what he'd done. He like came back home, and I guess his mother told him that the police were looking for him. <laughs> um, he and by that time, you know, within twenty four hours, forty five million computers were infected, uh, which was way beyond what Melissa was able to do. Um, and all just, you know, with a simple little script, it was uh, quite a big deal. Yeah. And the, the other thing is, is that he'd actually proposed this as part of one of the papers he'd submitted at the university where he was attending as a concept. And um, in one of the little anecdotal stories, I guess he scored very low on it because the teachers didn't yeah. think it was feasible. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> so that should hopefully set the stage for everybody. Computers were new. People didn't know a lot of things. A lot of the stuff we take for granted, uh, things like seeing over to see links and stuff like none of that stuff existed. These were the early, early days. So how have we, uh, how have the threats evolved in the last 22 years? Well, one of the things, um, the, 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 the exploits have gotten more complex and it's, you know, there, there is actually a, th a thing called cybersecurity now that there really wasn't back then. I mean, people were using Windows 95, which, you know, you look at it funny and it falls over and dumps all its secrets all over your floor. You know, they use that as a training tool. Um, but uh, uh, there, there's now, you know, uh, a lot of utilities. There are email gateways that uh, uh, typically companies will put in front that will, in front of their email, you know, um, uh, pathways so that uh, you're actually getting some analysis of the emails coming in. There are threat feeds that will block, you know, that go into these gateways that will block um, um, known bad known bad sites. But really what you got to be careful with is, is the whole social engineering phishing aspect of it. That's still the majority of the of the uh, of the attacks that come in came in through phishing. And uh, it's not just script kiddies or people looking to uh, impress their friends like it used to be 20 years ago. Now we're talking about organized crime. We're talking about nation states uh, that are actually doing this either to steal secrets or money or uh, much more serious things than just trying to show off for your friends. So it's uh, the, 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 the source of these uh, attacks is different. And um, we do have better technology, but still it's the people that are the, uh, that are the weak link in the chain most often. Well, and the other thing that uh, occurred to me as you were saying that was that at the time, uh, early on, you got the email and it had the payload and that yeah. was it. It ran and did its thing. You're done. Um, all of the attacks 20, 22 years ago were smash and grab type attacks. They came, did what they were going to do and left. That was also the era where threats were starting to try and actually do something more financial. Um, that was just the early part of it. But when Melissa and I love you hit, really most viruses just trashed your system so that people can mm -hmm. brag in the boys' bathroom, you know, uh, about how cool they were. Um, but they were starting to try and find a way to turn a profit. Um, and in those 22 years, of course, now most of them are profit oriented, which you mentioned. 
but they're also no longer just an email with a payload or an email with a link to a payload. There's an email, it somehow tries to get something, which now we call them dropper files because the it's mm -hmm. just one small tiny piece of the code, which makes it harder for your antivirus and things like that to detect because it's not doing much. Its only purpose is install and then use some method to go download more things. Because right. today's virus, you mentioned the complex, and I want to highlight that that's a big difference. In the days of I Love You, the virus was a file, and today it could be dozens of files, all downloaded as needed. Like it downloads on your machine, finds out you got a Windows machine, starts looking around, says, oh, you've got Linux systems on your network? Let me download some tools to help me test for vulnerabilities on those. Oh, now I found the vulnerability. Now let me download the tools to exploit those. They are like massive Swiss army knives of tools rather than just an executable. And again, 22 years is a long time in cyber, but that is a huge change in the way attacks work. Right, and one of the, that's one of the reasons why antivirus has evolved. You don't really stick a antivirus on your endpoint anymore because um, they're typically looking for a signature. You know, there's a, a certain sequence of bits that this malware will have in its executable that's used to identify it. But um, all you have to do is get the source code for that malware, recompile it, and all the bits are different. So you can actually just recompile a piece of malware and all the virus scanners um, will you know, miss it um, yeah. until they get updated. So now it's the, the EDR solutions, which is what antivirus has become, are much more sophisticated. There's artificial intelligence and machine learning. There's these threat feeds coming in. They're just a lot more, um, a lot more detailed and they're not going for just a little signature anymore because that's too easily fooled. Yeah, they keep coming up with evasion techniques. We come up with a technology to uh, to break it and then they come yeah. up with a new evasion technique. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and the other thing that um, we talked about earlier as we, we discussed doing this podcast was that um, back then the mass market victims were the things that consumers worried about and only very, very large companies ever worried about anybody targeting them. But today, anybody can be a target. And I'll give an example from my own life. Um, my son, when he started in, in uh, cybersecurity, actually he started as a developer, ended up in cybersecurity. He worked for a company, only had 26 employees, but they handle all of the movies from Hollywood, converting them into digital formats for use on airplanes. So if you've ever watched a movie on an airplane, this is the company that handles, you know, doing the security for those files so that if somebody somehow like at the airline tried to steal them or something, they could trace it back and all these fun, fun little things that they do, all that security. But it's only like a, a less than 50 people at this company. And yet the amount of money that they transact in is huge and uh, they get targeted very highly. I mean, small little company, but you don't even have to be that big anymore. No, that's very true. And one of the, and similarly to the to the story you just told, uh, one of the issues is that data is so ubiquitous, and it's so so the internet is so fast, storage is so cheap that it's actually a lot easier to just, you know, download information from everybody and sort it out later. You know, rather than trying to, you know, minimize your bandwidth and your costs and by targeting known high value targets, let's just target everybody. You know, so yeah, absolutely, uh, uh, individuals are just as just as uh, susceptible as big companies. And the worst thing you can do is think, oh, I'm just I'm just a little guy. They, I've got nothing that they would care about. I don't need to be safe, you know, because you'll <laughs> you'll pay for it later on. 
Yeah, no, the bandwidth thing is something I always have to chuckle because I remember early on when I was downloading a, some new program that I wanted off of a bulletin board system that was even 200K, that's going to take most of the night. Yeah. <laughs> Today, we see people having terabytes of data being stolen, granted over a few days, but they're able to steal it. And the company doesn't even see the bandwidth being used like that because it, it's not a big deal. So the amount of of data, which is, again, why those those advanced tacks are possible. They can send in huge executables, bunches of them, and it's just a blip on the radar of the traffic you see on your network every day. It's not anomalous. Yeah. Well, back in 2000, I don't know if, <laughs> if people are old enough to remember that you used to, people would give you flack if you your, your email signature where you signed your name at the bottom was more than three lines long because you were wasting bandwidth on the internet. Yeah. Uh, and people would get, if you put a picture there, oh my, you were like a pariah. Um, <laughs> and now it's like they're streaming 3D videos and, uh, you know, Lord knows what else. Um, they don't even think about it. The amount of data is just astounding. Yeah. I start sounding like an old man when I somebody says, hey, can you send me that PowerPoint? And I go, well, can you handle a 30 megabyte attachment? You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> my first yeah. hard drive was only 10 megabytes. Um, <laughs> so, Let's go from the threats to talk about the defenses. Now, you already mentioned, you know, that, of course, um, when this was coming out, there was a new technology called email security, which you'd actually put on your server, your exchange server. It wasn't at the gateway. And that was because when you got a virus like Melissa or something like that, you also wanted to be able to scan all the emails in your current repository, everything that somebody might have in their save folder, received file, whatever. Um, because it may have come in, the virus may have come in before you got that signature. And so you needed yeah. to scan all the emails that had been received in the past and were still in the repository to keep it safe. Great mm -hmm. idea. But the bad guys quickly flipped to using things like links. And so now we have, and you you mentioned, you know, uh, web filters or secure web gateways, which do the same thing of filtering web traffic. So um, now they're trying to do it on the web channel. Actually, I don't know how much the email security market, I should have looked that up before we got here. How much, how many exchange servers, what percentage of them probably still have an actual scanner on them? I wonder. It's probably more than you would want to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and you have to be really careful because even the links are are getting, you know, more sophisticated with things like uh, homo homoglyph attacks or homograph attacks where they're using the extended character set to where it looks to a human just like, you know, a normal website like google.com, but the E is a Cyrillic E, which looks just like the Latin English E, but it's a totally different ASCII code. So you, uh, to a human, you look, you click on that thinking it's safe. I hovered over it and I'm fine, but actually it's taking to an entirely different website. So uh, you want to, you want to be, uh, even the hovering over, over the links is not adequate anymore. You got to put some thought into who is sending me this information, first of all, which is why you hover. Um, but also, does it make sense that they would send it to me? You know, is uh, is the CEO of my company telling me that he just discovered a bank account with my name on it and I've got $27,000 in it? Why would the CEO be telling me that? You know, you can get all kinds of information about companies and individuals on LinkedIn or Facebook and, and spoof and imitate uh, somebody. And generally, you'll think that, you know, that must be safe because it's coming from an internal person that I know or something like that. You want to be really careful about, about who it's coming from, what it's saying, and never leave. You want to be really careful at least. Um, don't leave, don't log into a website that you got to by clicking on a link. And don't download anything from a website that you got to by clicking on a link. 
if you really got to go there, type it in yourself uh, because you just never really know what you're clicking on. Even if it looks safe, there's ways to ways to get around that. Well, and you pulled out something you mentioned, uh, you know, we've been talking about hovering over links, um, but you also mentioned know who it's coming from. Uh, because that can get spoofed. Actually, it can get spoofed quite in an advanced way, but I get emails quite often that are saying, hey, here's something that applies to your job. You'd be really interested in it. Uh, you know, would you like more information? I get that kind of stuff all the time, sure. but I will go look at who it's coming from and it'll have somebody's name at some company. But if I hover over the, the address, the email address, not the link, but the email address, it'll say somebody at gmail.com. And yeah. nobody that I would do business with is going to send me stuff from their Gmail account. So I can automatically discount it. So I wanted to make sure our audience is aware you don't just have to hover over the link. You want to make sure your users know about hovering over anything that they can lever over. <laughs> yeah. And if you're sending anything that is secure, um, there are all kinds of utilities. Gmail has them. Um, uh, uh, Office 365 has them. Companies like Proofpoint provide them where you can send encrypted email just by putting the word encrypt in the subject line in brackets. And sometimes that's implemented and you don't even know it uh, because it's not widely spread. But if you're sending anything um, secure or, 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 or some kind of intellectual property, mm -hmm. do your best to, find, to try to encrypt it. If, uh, if you're sending it across the internet, there are things like GPG, uh, which has a, the other side has to have the keys to decrypt it. But um, um, if it's something that, uh, that uh, you know you're going to be having those kind of interactions, you can set up ahead of time. Um, but yeah, just, just be aware of what you're sending. Kind of always assume that somebody's going to see it, that you don't want to see it. Anytime you go somewhere, just kind of be, be cautious because you could be going somewhere that, uh, you, uh, you don't really want to go. <laughs> well, and I'm glad you brought up the lookalikes because there's a great example in the news this week. I've seen some interesting articles. It's not like it's all news, but it's stuff that's been talked about things in technology that make us safer and make us less safe are always happening. Uh, for example, I love you, Melissa. They all took advantage of macros and mm -hmm. Microsoft announced that they are about to shut down macros, that you won't be yes. able to do that anymore. Major about security time. win. Yeah. It's about time. Uh, yeah. That just happened like in the last week or two. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, they do that a lot. I mean, the original viruses were actually boot sector viruses until Windows NT came out, if anybody remembers that first server platform. And it implemented a way of having duplicate boot records so that they couldn't be manipulated. It wiped out an entire branch of malware. An entire type of malware was no longer viable. And so Microsoft's doing that again, maybe 22 years too late, but you know, <laughs> macros can no longer be activated automatically inside email. But on the backside, you were talking about lookalikes, and that's what triggered this. Um, they're now allowing emoji URLs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They're just making it worse for us all <laughs> the time. Yeah. Um, there's one of the things that's coming down the pike. Um, I know there's been a proposal for the for the government to uh, uh, implement this, but they've got a. Um, They've got, um, of course, one of the thing, ways you can protect yourself is using multi-factor authentication where you've got, you know, something you know, which is usually a password, something you have, which might be your cell phone or something you are, which is biometrics, your retina, your fingers, your, you know, yep. what it, some, kind, some kind of biological signal. Um, and they're talking about phishing resistant um, authentication. And what that really means is no passwords anymore uh, because you can leave a password or have it stolen from, by a website 
but it's a little harder to steal my phone by going to a website. It's a little harder to duplicate my retina if I go to a website. So uh, coming down the road um, very soon, I think, uh, they're going to be eliminating passwords because if you can do two out of the three, you, you've got multi-factor authentication and, uh, and you're, you're more secure. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, absolute because once you've authenticated, there's session tokens that can be stolen and things like that. But that's, again, a more complex um, uh, uh, exploit than, than trying to just, you know, <laughs> write a file to a disk and send an email. Um, yep. So, yeah, you look for that. And, and, and if, uh, if you're not hearing about your company talking about that, you should ask about it because uh, um, it will definitely help a lot. Yeah, because it started out with solutions that scanned email for security. Then we started going to web gateways. So web filters, even next-gen firewalls became next-gen because they started adding web filtering capabilities to themselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, so they're closely or quickly becoming a UTM, which, you know, used to be an, an ugly word. Um, but uh, then we got into more of these uh, evasion. You were talking about lookalikes. We're talking about tunneling, things like that. So DNS security, that started to pick up about five years ago, really strong, where people started saying, you know, uh, lookalikes, they can generate 40,000 of those in a day, and there's no right. way my defenses can track all those URLs. But you know what? All of those URLs map to the exact same IP address. What if I was right. doing things at the DNS level? Then lookalikes don't affect me at all. Lookalikes are like no longer an issue. And so many of those, and, and the emoji thing, I'm really going to depend on my data security when it comes to dealing with an emoji because I don't think I'll ever be able to remember the emoji that, oh yeah, poop sign music signal. I know who that is. That's my favorite <laughs> artist, you know. Um, yeah. It's, it's going to get crazy. So the technology moved to that. And then like you said, and, and I'd like to wrap this up because we've only got about five minutes here left. Um, on the user side, you talked about all of those authentication pieces um, that's actually why my wife finally agreed to a Apple watch so that she gets her text messages that she doesn't have to open up her phone and passcode and all that. When she logs into a site, it pings her with the authentication code. She can just tap the watch and she's got her code and can go forward. Um, so, you know, one technology makes another one viable, but what about just training users? Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, when I was first into computers, my average user couldn't set the time on their VCR. And if anybody on the line doesn't know what a VCR, there is a Wikipedia article. It's an ancient technology, pre-DVD, pre-streaming. <laughs> and the, But people couldn't even figure out how to set the time on it. Digital clocks were actually still new at the time. And a lot of people, that, that was beyond them. But today's average user, they've got smartphones and they, they brag about how many apps they've got in their social media. They really, you know, the younger generation, they're right on top of this stuff. Is user education now viable? Because it wasn't 20, 25 years ago, but is today, is it working? Is it something your team depends on? Absolutely, yeah. We, we have regular education sessions for the entire company that I work for. And also we publish externally to customers and just the, the broader uh, internet that has an interest in security. So we do uh, keep track of emerging threats and also uh, historical ones that are just of interest because there's still issues that are being used. Um, so yeah, education is, uh, is, is huge. I think people are a lot more sophisticated than they used to be. I mean, I remember maybe back around the time this virus came out, I had a, a client that, uh, had email, 
but she would fax, she'd print the emails out and fax them to me so I could write the response on them, fax them back to her, or actually I would have to send them out because she couldn't, she couldn't understand how to reply to an email. Um, I don't think we have quite that, that, you know, <laughs> computer phobia issue now. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly people are, are a little more, a little more savvy. They're a little more aware of, of the risks out there. So I think it's easier to educate them. You're not starting from ground zero now. You're starting from, you know, a much higher, higher level of sophistication. So I think in general, people are um, much better uh, at receiving the, the information. Well, I know um, your CTO, Ed Hunter, he's been doing like regular emails. Um, and so this education is something that is just part of the cadence of the company. Um, yes. On, you know, every employee once a year, they have to go through and take a test to prove that they understand you know, uh, trade secret laws and things like that for you guys to maintain ISO certifications and things like that. And your user education is also on the single case. So for the average employee, this is just one of the many things they do. It's not something special anymore. It's just part of their routine, right? Absolutely. And we also do regular phishing campaigns where we will send out uh, phishing emails that uh, if you catch it and and you know click I think report this to the to our fishing crew or fishing team, um, you get a little little you know panel that comes up. Congratulations, you caught us. <laughs> um, but the the numbers of people, the just the metrics for the number of people that are that are falling for those phishing uh, uh, campaign emails is going down steadily. People are getting getting the um, getting the message, even though. I mean, the the uh, the early ones were really silly. They were like, you know, Nigerian prince type things, you know, click on this file called malware.exe, you know, kind of thing. And now mm -hmm. we're being a lot less obvious, but still the numbers are going down. They're catching it very quickly. So, yeah, they, it's it's uh, it's uh, a lot easier uh, and people are just more savvy now than they used to be. Yeah. And I think what that is, is also an important lesson again for our, our listeners is that you started out with the very obvious stuff. Your goal is not to trick the, the employees. Your goal is to educate them. Start with the obvious stuff, just like you would in school. You know, you give them first grade stuff first. Once they've mastered that, you move to second grade and you just gradually increase the complexity and 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 help them get better at it, not beat them down and say, hey, we beat right. you. You know, that's not the right. goal. Yeah. Well, great. And as usual, we uh, have run out of time. Uh, <laughs> we do this all the time here. This is normal. So Anthony, Jank, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for your time as well. Join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk.